in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. Together, once again, reunited with Scott Benjamin, who is joining me today in the studio. Thanks, Scott. Reunited. Isn't there a song, Reunited? It feels so good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's the one. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, and we're going to tackle a couple of different stories that have been in the news over the past several weeks. Now, as of the time we're recording this, obviously the episode will publish a little bit later. But we wanted to talk about some stuff that has to do with artificial intelligence, with autonomy, with uh, vehicles, and also just uh, robots in general. So we're going to start with probably the more sobering of the two stories, uh, the story about Tesla autopilot um, and specifically the fatal accident that happened on May 7th, 2016, involving Joshua Brown. And and what does that mean? What do we know about the accident as of the recording of this show? Uh, what does it mean for for autonomous vehicles why why does tesla maintain that uh, tesla autopilot isn't autonomous we're going to get into all those details but first i just want to give a, a quick kind of layout of of the order of events so the accident happened on may 7th uh 2016 in florida um uh, joshua brown was in a vehicle tesla model s that w- had autopilot engaged and uh, was traveling eastward down a highway when a semi-truck was turning left. The semi-truck was traveling westward down that same highway, turning left to cross onto another street, which meant that uh, the semi-truck's trailer was crossing the the traffic that uh, Joshua's car, or the the direction that Joshua's car was going in. Uh, neither the car nor Joshua appeared to uh, detect the trailer. They didn't see it, didn't react to it. And so there was a collision. Uh, we'll get more into more details about the collision in a little bit. And um, Mr. Brown passed away due to that. He died from his injuries. The uh, Tesla actually released information to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration about a week and a half after it happened, giving them the details of the accident. Uh, just a couple days later, they held a big shareholder meeting. That's going to come into play a little bit. And then it wasn't until June 30th that Tesla posted a blog that acknowledged and disclosed this accident. And uh, so this is a kind of a, it's kind of a multi-tiered thing that we're going to chat about, not just the technology, uh, not just uh, what kind of, of uh, effect is this going to have on the on on driver assist systems and and autonomous vehicles moving forward, but also the implications some people have raised saying that perhaps Tesla was trying to hide the fact that there was this accident uh, in light of the fact they were going to have a shareholder meeting and and offer more stocks. They raised like one point four billion dollars in stocks. Uh, so we're going to tackle all of that. So to start, Scott, how would you describe Tesla autopilot? Tesla autopilot. Okay, so uh, I guess you can't call it autonomous. Right. That's the first thing we need to get out of the way. It's right. A, it's a legality issue, and mm-hmm. we've talked about this, I think, on other podcasts that I've been here for. Sure. On tech stuff, uh, certainly on car stuff, and the it's a, it's a, again it's a legal issue because you can't say autonomous because that indicates that there doesn't necessarily have to be a driver in place behind the wheel. Right. And again, it's just a it's a word thing. It's a wordplay thing right now because. Most major manufacturers have 
autonomous-like systems in the works, mm-hmm. autopilot-like systems in the works, um, or they already have them implemented, but they have a strict rule that a driver has to be you know, in the driver position at mm-hmm. all times, mm-hmm. ready to take control at any time. And some of them even say that you have to have hands on the wheel, as did the Tesla situation here. The Tesla, when you agree to enter autopilot mode, you you have to I don't know if you click on something on that giant screen that they have. It's and, essentially you know, like a terms of service saying like you are acknowledging that in order to have autopilot on, you are supposed to keep your hands on the wheel as well as maintain alertness to your surroundings, not just you know not just shut down and allow the car to take over. Okay, we'll have more to say about that as we go here yeah. too because. Um, You'll find that there's a lot of shenanigans that go along with uh, with people in mm-hmm. autopilot mode that shouldn't be happening because mm-hmm. of this terms, you know, this this term of agreement that you mm-hmm. sign. And so, uh, Mr. Brown had agreed to that, and then we will later find out that he was in uh, in the negligence of that. And listen, I want to also get this out of the way too: is that we we're not here to point fingers at the dead guy. No. Or any, by any means. No. But um, as we go through this and see if you agree with this as we talk here, but. Um, I, I really feel that Tesla is not necessarily in the wrong here, uh, right? And I don't. I, I feel it's more the fault of the driver himself than it is Tesla by by all means. Right. Let Let me see if you if you think this is fair. Uh, I would I would say that over the last decade, really a couple of decades, we've seen more automated systems or driver assist systems come into play. Some are, are pretty, you know, still rely entirely upon human input. Like I would argue power steering falls into that kind of category. It's the, the car itself is not taking over any steering and power steering, but that's a driver assist feature. It's helping someone operate a vehicle without having to do ridiculous amounts of turning a wheel in order to actually do what you need to do. Sure. We've seen so many of these in the past. I mean, in the recent past, I guess, with mm-hmm. uh, with lane keep systems, you know, that right. that's part of the autonomous system that we're talking, or oh, I almost said it, the uh, driver assist system that right. we're talking about from Tesla, the autopilot. Um, it, you know, it, it maintains the lane. It maintains the distance between the vehicle in front of it and uh, and, and tries to keep that at a uh, uh, a reasonable well, I, I would believe that you would be able to set the uh, the distance that you want. Right. Or maybe it does it based on a calculation of your speed versus the uh, the, the distance it needs to break. Right, like like but, that basic rule um, of thumb that you should be able to count to three when uh, you see uh, the vehicle ahead of you passes something like a, a lamp. Yeah, like and a, then you a street lamp. You count, you know, one one thousand, two one thousand, or three. You know, and there's a there's a uh, just kind of a, a general rule of thumb, as you said. You know that that uh, you know at, at this speed you have this amount of time mm-hmm. in order to react, and that's just something that, that that us humans need i suppose yeah it's a little faster of course for an autopilot system that can it can do things a lot quicker although it has to do so in a way that's safe and isn't going to injure a person so in other words like technically you could have a a a, a computer system follow a little closer to a car and be able to react faster yeah but momentum is still a thing and what about the driver behind you? Exactly. Yeah. So the you've human got, driver behind you. You've got you. the human driver behind you, so they may not be able to react that quickly. Mm-hmm. And you also have the issue of uh, when you come to a stop, you've got so much mass, you've got so much momentum built up that even if your car is capable of coming to a stop at that at that reduced distance between you and the person in front of you, there's still going to be a very measurable uh effect on the person sitting in that car it's going to 
you're going to be jerked around a lot. <laughs> yeah. And this wasn't necessarily the case with this crash either. No, it wasn't. This is a truck. You have to imagine what it would be like if a semi-truck was crossing your path in front of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, perpendicular to the road. Right. Almost like you're coming up to a, a crossroads and there's a semi-truck going going perpendicular 90 degrees from where you're going. Yeah, the cab has passed in front of you. You're now to that part of the trailer where there's nothing below it. But the the cab or the uh, the trailer is above you, mm-hmm. and the rear wheels have yet to cross the road. Right. So that's the position where this was. This was when uh, Mr. Brown went underneath the trailer. And so you you know the you you're thinking, well, how come he no, neither he nor the the car detected this? Well, there are a couple of different things that people have said so far. One was that the sky was brightly lit that day, that the trailer itself was white, and therefore it was more difficult to differentiate between the trailer and the sky. Uh, so from a, just a optical standpoint, like within the visual spectrum, it was hard to see. Well, for the computer to understand that. I mean, you would see a, a truck in front of you if you had your eyes on the road. That's, right. that's the other part of this is that the human element, I believe, I mean, and as we get, as we go through here, I think you're going to see more and more that uh, my, my, my thoughts on this whole thing are that he wasn't watching at all. I mean, there was no, uh, there were no eyes up on the road at all. This was completely in autopilot mode and he was hands off for the whole thing. If, because if he were hands on, it is hard to imagine how he could not have seen the truck simply because you're talking about him traveling eastward. It was in the afternoon. So the sun should be behind him, not in front of him. So yes. he shouldn't, he shouldn't have sun in his eyes. Well, but it's going to be bright on the trailer. If it's a white trailer, it's going to be bright against that bright sky. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that would be difficult to differentiate between, you know, that and the sky for the computer, I guess. You know, if there's no, uh, chrome trim or anything that, you know, d- that makes a, uh, um, some type of delineation that says this is the beginning of another object and they can, de- and then can detect that it's also moving. Mm-hmm. All, another thing that, that, this is all hinges on is that there's an eyewitness report that came out um, in early July on a site called Teslarati, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's kind of just a compliment, compilation of uh, Tesla news, you know, of all all news, right? You know, SpaceX, Tesla Motors, Investor News, etc. And one of the witnesses to this accident, in addition to the truck driver, which we'll hear from in just a minute, said that <laughs> prior to this accident, this is crazy. The Model S was on the same road as this person, this uh, this woman driver. She was on US 27A in Florida, and the Model S on auto, on autopilot at that time passed her while she was driving at 85 miles per hour. So he's going in excess of 85 miles per hour. Where I'm, let's just say it's it's ballpark 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen what happens to a car when it crashes at 100 miles per hour? It's it's devastating. I mean, you've got to keep in mind that most crash tests that are done are done at a much, much lower speed, yeah, like, and yet they're dramatic in the, the, the outcome. Yeah, you would be shocked to see what kind of damage happens in, uh, let's say, a, you know, a side impact collision. You know those, those really dramatic ones where the, the whole ha- – the car seems to bend in half and the car enters the other vehicle practically? That – that's happening somewhere around 35 miles an hour, 30, mm-hmm. 35 miles per hour. This is this is a car traveling at 100 miles per hour. Uh, it's just, let's say more than 85, to be fair. More than 80, 85 for sure. And, uh, and, of course, at that point of the trailer, which we're talking about, it, what happened was it sheared the roof off of the vehicle. And I think we can all understand what that probably means to the driver of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's horrific. So beyond that, the car continued on. And mm-hmm. it didn't continue on a long, long distance. And I'm, I'm looking at a, um, a diagram that was drawn up here of the uh, the crash investigation scene. And it's not to scale or anything, but 
the car doesn't go a whole lot farther in its in its own lane. It mm-hmm. did veer off the road, went through one fence or went through a ditch, went through a fence, went across a, a field, a, through another fence, and into a pole. So two a ditch, two fences, and a pole, and that's where it came to rest. Is after that it kind of rotated to a rest. Um, the truck, the driver of the truck, said that it all happened so fast that. By the time he didn't even, I don't even know if he he felt the impact, of course. But by the time he even checked his mirrors, the vehicle was already beyond, you know, the impact site. He couldn't he couldn't even pick it up. He couldn't spot it, um, other than looking. You know, I guess at this point he had to look to his left to see it out in the field somewhere. Um, it's move. It's traveling that fast. Yeah. So uh, there's this disconnect between what what happened in that vehicle just seconds before the the uh, uh, the crash, the impact, and what happened uh, and, and you know, I don't know if I should say it that way. Maybe there's a, um, I guess, just not enough information out there. Like, what was right. happening in the car beforehand? Right. It's not a disconnect. It's just we just need to know more information. And yeah. We don't quite yet. Yeah. The fact that you know you had you had different eyewitnesses saying that, uh, like one saying that there was a, a portable DVD player with a screen showing a Harry Potter movie. Uh, that someone else said. There was a portable DVD player inside the car, but it wasn't actually running at the time. Can I tell you something? What's that? The driver of the truck who went to check on this driver out in the field, uh, as he approached, he said that he did hear a Harry Potter movie playing, but did not see it. Mm-hmm. But that's the way he, that's the only way that he was able to discern that it was a Harry Potter movie. He could hear the audio from that. Because I, I guess it's, I mean, if you saw the wreck, it's a mangled mess. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a horrific car crash scene. Um, but he was one of the first people on the scene, of course, and he did, in fact, hear a Harry Potter movie playing. So it, it appears, at least from the limited information that we have, uh, it appears that, that this was a case where the person behind the wheel was not following the directions stated specifically under engaging the autopilot that you you know need to have your full attention on the road and have be ready to take over um, that's what it looks like also we should say that you know, you, yes the optical camera system failed in that it did not recognize the fact that there was a truck crossing its path which is that's pretty dramatic but some people have said well aren't there backups like beyond optical wasn't there radar well yeah it has radar here's the thing though the trailer is off the ground right it's it's above the ground because you've got that space between um you know where the the chassis is and the trailer part and the problem is that the radar system can misinterpret that to be an overhead sign because it's it's detecting a, a a surface a flat surface that's above the ground, and Tesla Autopilot essentially ignores those. Because if it didn't, every time you went down the highway, your car would start to break every time you start to approach an overhead sign. Yeah, if it has identified that as a potential uh, collision, could be a real problem. Yeah, it could mean that you're actually causing accidents because you're you're hitting the brake on a highway when everything is perfectly fine. Uh, so, I mean, you could argue that maybe this this was at least partly a failure of technology in the sense that the the optical cameras did not pick up the the truck, or it could be that the car was just traveling so fast that even even at that advanced speed that computers can react to, it would not have been able to uh, react fast enough at detecting the the truck and being able to do anything about it. Now you're hitting on something that I wanted to to uh, make clear here too is that when we first talked about this, mm-hmm. when we first uh, heard about this ourselves, 
I had thought that uh, I had imagined that this vehicle continued on down the road, and and you know the autopilot remained engaged, and um, you know it was it was like it was. Uh, an, Almost like a uh, a ghost car, a ghost ship, right? Traveling down the road with no no one at the wheel, of course. And um, I thought I thought it was a much greater distance that had traveled after the accident. But now that I'm hearing that you know he's traveling at such a high rate of speed, mm-hmm. and I look at this diagram. Now I know it's not to scale, but it's really if if it's anywhere close to the way it's drawn here, um, you know, it's not like it's five miles down the road. It's right there where this right. car came to rest. Right. If he's traveling that quickly, and something like the top is being sheared off the car. In the grand scheme of things, it's not like a full-on impact into a wall or anything. That's right. uh, that's it's relatively easy to take the top off of a vehicle. It's mostly glass and a few beams. That's it. Mm-hmm. Quickly handled by you know that type of speed. So, uh, for it to just travel that far on its own momentum, its own you know velo- right. the, the carried sure. over velocity, I guess. Um, I could see a car taking a quarter mile to come to a rest from something that that uh, that, that fast mm-hmm. and not quite as abrupt as a as a as a dead-on impact. Sure. And, you know, it's uh, – I think uh, we do have to stress again, Tesla has always maintained that autopilot is really a collection of integrated driver assist systems that together make it safer to operate a vehicle. And they have data to back that up. Uh, the big the big point that they like to mention is the number of miles driven by vehicles in autopilot mode – Without a, a fatality, this was the first fatality of anyone driving a Tesla vehicle in autopilot mode. And uh, they say that the cars had accumulated something like 130 million miles of, of travel without having a fatality. Yeah, which is above average, right? Yeah, because in the United States, again, according to Tesla, uh, they cite a number saying that it's 94 million miles for every particular model of car. That's the That's the average, is that... Uh, every 94 million miles driven by a vehicle, there's a fatality. Yeah, that's in the U.S. That's in the U.S. Globally, it's different. Yeah, it's 60. It's uh, it's it's 60 million miles globally because Which, the global numbers. I've got global numbers if you want to hear. Them. Sure, they're, yeah, they're huge. All right, so globally, uh, auto-related deaths per year, 1.3 million people die mm. per year in uh, auto-related deaths, and that's an so that's an average. Of about it's just just under thirty three hundred deaths every single day from auto related deaths. Now in the United States, it's significantly less, but it's still a high number. Um, it is. It's estimated in twenty fifteen. We still have estimate numbers. I think the latest year for concrete numbers is probably twenty fourteen or thirteen. Even um, it's estimated that thirty eight thousand three hundred people are killed every year in the United States alone on the roads, and that's about an average of a hundred and five per day. So this is. One accident that's happened with autopilot, and it gets so much attention, it's so much, so much uh, focus is put on this one accident because of the autopilot element mm-hmm. uh, that, that's uh, that's being um, you know put out there into the media, and a lot of people are, are of course focused on that one thing. And I would guess that Elon Musk is uh, you know kind of scratching his head, saying like, well, it, this statistically it's bound to happen. I mean, yeah. of course we don't want a car that is going to have this uh, occur. We don't want it to happen again ever. But statistically, it's going to happen, and there, and accidents are inevit- inevitable, and so are fatalities. There's just there's no way to create a 100 and 100 percent death proof vehicle. You can't right. do it. Right. There's always going to be some wild card that you just can't account for. Yeah, you can't. There's no way to anticipate every potential scenario. And in fact, that is an important thing to point out: is that this this situation that uh, this tragic situation 
was kind of the perfect storm of elements for this accident to have happened. It should, in most cases, should not have happened. And in fact, uh, you know, people have, have criticized Tesla. Um, some of the journalists have criticized Tesla for, uh, not just for the, the fact that autopilot appears to have played a part in a fatal accident, never mind the fact that there are so many other fatal accidents happening with so many other vehicles that, uh, you know, that, uh, well, they don't garner the attention, right? Because of this one, because it's not as novel an idea as well, this autopilot system. Yeah, this is the first. But not only did they they criticize him for that, but also, and I can understand this as well, the fact that Tesla did not disclose the accident until after it had, had this shareholder meeting where it had offered more stock and made more money. Uh, the company's response was that the accident's not material to Tesla's business, and in fact, you would never expect other automakers to have to do the same thing. Uh, it's, it's bad optics. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't look good. Uh, it, yeah. but, but there's also, you know, again, there's no precedent for this. By any, this is the first time this has happened. Which automatically means that there's definitely going to be more interest anyway. So I, I, given the fact that it is autopilot, I lean a little more toward it might have been better for Tesla to get ahead of this rather than to talk about it a month more than well, a month afterward but with a very logical explanation of why it happened and that it likely will happen again it's just this is simply the first time it's happened and then also he could he could have stressed you know that yeah we've we've achieved 130 million miles of travel without yeah. a fatality at this point that's that's again way above average yeah yeah and Far above. in fact you know he says like well if you extrapolate which by the way I'm just going to say what Musk said, essentially, but this extrapolation I completely understand is not uh, not an apples to apples kind of thing. Musk says, well, let's assume that in 2015, the Tesla autopilot feature were universally available on all vehicles. Globally. Globally. That would mean that there would be 500,000 fewer deaths in 2015 due to car accidents. I, I don't quite understand that at all. I mean, okay, the, the global figure that I just gave you is 1.3 million, so I can understand the half of that in yeah. a kind of point. But you can't say for sure that an autopilot system would have corrected or made um, adjustments so that you know half of those people would still be alive well, today. Yeah, it's interesting because here I, I understand how he's doing his math. He's saying, globally speaking... There's one fatality for every 60 miles driven. 60 million. Si- 60 million miles driven. That's why I'm, I'm sorry. That so, is a very important distinction. <laughs> that's okay. Huge, huge factor there. 60 million miles driven. So one fatality every 60 million miles driven. With Tesla autopilot uh, records, it's one fatality for 130 million miles driven. Therefore, the, the Tesla autopilot is twice as safe. Now, fuzzy math, my friend. Very fuzzy math. Yeah. But, but we get his point saying that the driver assist systems, when used properly, are, they really do improve the safety of a vehicle. So. It's true. That leads to the, the discussion about why are people not using this properly? Why are people, and, whether this was the case with Joshua Brown's particular incident or not, like we suspect things, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that people have been jackasses in Tesla vehicles running on autopilot because there are YouTube videos of it. Absolutely. And, and unfortunately for, for this uh, this case, for this guy, uh, there are videos of him 
yeah. engaging in some of these activities. I mean, I've seen videos of people, not necessarily uh, um, Mr. Brown, but I've also seen people you know, that are in traffic in autopilot mode taking a nap or playing cards or playing guitar, not air guitar, but playing guitar, uh, doing all kinds of things. I mean, just uh, you know, facing sideways instead of forward. Um, it, it's just, it, it's, I guess it's fun to get online and kind of show what you can do other than driving in rush hour traffic. That's uh, that's the point. Is is a lot of these videos that a lot of these videos are making mm-hmm. is that look what I'm doing. How, I'm making use of my time aside from just driving home. I've got right. my laptop out. I'm still working or whatever the case and may I'm be. Prepping dinner. Yeah. Chopping vegetables. <laughs> Unfortunately, Joshua Brown also has some of these videos out there that right. show some him him engaged in some of these activities. And you know, the thing is, these cars, especially the Tesla, they have uh, of course engine control modules, mm-hmm. lots of modules in this one, mm-hmm. in the Tesla Model S. That's going to tell the tale. That's going to say. Uh, it's kind of like an event recorder, a, a black box, if you will, right, for, for an, an automobile, aircraft, yeah. and it's going to. Uh, let us know what speed he was traveling, exactly what happened before and, and after this accident, immediately after. It's going to also let us know when the last time there was any kind of driver input into the system. And all this can be read via code. And if somebody was careful enough to remove those modules properly, which I, I hope they were, mm-hmm. we'll be able to kind of piece this all together, you know, in reverse order and figure yeah. out what happened. And it may be a while and or possibly even never yeah. before we hear the d- details of that investigation. Yeah, they may, they may keep that tight. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where we see people, uh, disregarding Tesla's very clear message about what autopilot is intended to be. Uh, I have said a few times this past week when talking about the story that part of the issue to me is calling the feature autopilot in the first place. Not, again, not assigning blame to Tesla, but just saying that I think some people are taking this word autopilot and they're thinking it means more than what it's supposed to do. We got to think that autopilot is really a collection of systems. They're integrated, so it's that's pretty cool. Uh, but they're, they're systems that have been found on, on high-end vehicles for the past few years uh, that are integrated in such a way that it almost feels like the car is really taking over. But it's not not quite there yet. And Tesla has maintained, like, no, it's not an autonomous type of thing. It can do a lot of stuff. And and if your hands are on the wheel and you're paying attention, it may feel like, I don't even need to be here for this to work. But the, but, but the reality is that if you see a semi-trailer uh, trailer and tractor crossing the, the road in front of you, mm-hmm. you're going to react by touching the brake or swerving to avoid that uh, that vehicle. You're going to see it ahead of time. I, I, I just have a, a gut feeling that there were no eyes up in this situation. There yeah. were no hands on the wheel at all. There was probably no driver input for quite some time in this case. And I, I just, again, just a gut feeling, but I mean, just the the way the accident happened, I can't see it any other way. And and that's, of course, this is all barring any kind of medical situation. But I, sure. think, but I think we would have heard that by now if that had been the case. If there was a, like a heart attack or a stroke or a, a medical situation that was so dire that he was unable to um, interact with the vehicle mm-hmm. in any way. I think that we would have heard about that by now, but uh, you never know. I mean, we'll yeah. have to let all that kind of come out in the wash, and it, and it will. But, do you, I mean, you got to understand that this is going to happen in other makes and models of cars as well that have systems that are autonomous-like or, uh, you know, autopilot-like mm-hmm. in that, you know... Um, you know, the Mercedes that'll do the same thing or the BMWs that'll do the same thing or the Chryslers or any of these cars that can drive themselves in traffic, people are going to kind of 
take that to the extreme and, yeah. and, and not pay attention. It's like, um, you're just taking advantage of the situation. Right. And, and the, the, you know, there's a very real fear in the technology sphere that this will end up creating, uh, hurdles for autonomous vehicles down, down, down the road. I didn't want to do a pun there, but I went ahead and did one anyway. That's all right. Uh, so, but that, yeah, in the future, you're going to see some hurdles in, in the way of autonomous vehicles because of this. It's, to me, it's, it's apples and oranges because an autonomous vehicle, especially if you're taking the route that Google's taking, there's no way to interact with that vehicle apart from telling it where you want to go. It, there's, there are no controls. There's yeah. no brake. There's no accelerator. There's no steering wheel. There's nothing. And that, uh, in that case, you have to really, uh, convincingly demonstrate that the technology is robust and capable of responding to a myriad of situations well beyond just the typical traffic situations you would run into on a day-to-day basis, but some of the more extraordinary experiences that you could encounter because, you know, one day may not be exactly the same as the next. You may have one day where you're driving to work and everything is pretty much normal and then maybe the next day you drive to work and who knows, a poultry truck has just spilled a big load of chickens all across the road. That happens here in Georgia. Let me tell you, that happens two or three times a year here in Georgia. Yeah. It's not that uncommon. Yeah, it's, uh, I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, poultry capital of the world. We've got a chicken statue in the middle of town. That's not a lie. <laughs> um, and yeah, it happens. It's one of those things, where, but, but it's one of those things where you, if you're programming a, an autonomous vehicle out in Mountain View, California, you're not necessarily thinking, hey, what happens if chickens are everywhere. <laughs> Do we have a chicken plan yet? Yeah, that but that, that's the sort of stuff you have to take into account. My my worry is that we're going to see a disproportionate response from various uh, agencies in in uh, the wake of this accident, which again, tragic accident. We hate to see this happen at all. Uh, and and place a level of responsibility that is not merited. Yeah, you know, I think in the short term, uh, my gut feeling is that you're right, but I think that uh, it won't be too long before we get back on this, you know, full bore, where mm-hmm. um, a lot of people. I mean, sad to say, but they'll this will become part of Tesla's history, you know, and they'll right. say, well, yeah, that happened, but we then ran two million tests. In order, you know, electronic tests in order to prevent that from ever happening again, and now that situation won't occur ever again right. in, a, in a Tesla. Now, what's the next unusual set of circumstances that will lead to a driver death? That's gonna, that's going to be the next question because you can only do so much. You can't foresee every single circumstance. Well, and I and that also reminds me. In fact, I should have said this earlier, but that's a good point. In that uh, the Tesla Autopilot is a beta service. It's oh. it's in beta which means that it's in testing mode it's not the final product. Yeah. And in fact Tesla takes the data gathered from people driving in autopilot mode in order to tweak autopilot and make it more effective. So in other words this is a a trial of a program that they're still not legally ready to call even autonomous yet people are treating it as it's autonomous. So it's right. like it's like two levels below that at least. Yes, it's a, it's it's a level where if you are treating it like it's an autonomous car uh, you are you are behaving in a way that I would argue is irresponsible, oh, sure. um, and you know I, I'm hopeful that this will 
stories like this will become fewer and fewer in number simply because the improvements in technology have us avoid some of these accidents where we never have a story, right? Like you're not going to tell, hey, 17 more accidents didn't happen today. That's not a story, right? Uh, unless you had some sort of weird definitive proof of it. You know who I want to have autonomous uh, systems or uh, autopilot systems? What's that? Every driver around me. Yeah. Because recently, uh, I don't know if this is a thing everywhere. I, I would guess that it is because of distracted driving with you know, smartphones, et cetera. Yep. Everything else. Uh, there have been several times in this last uh, five, seven days maybe, I've had uh, several occasions where I've had to make a, an evasive mover at, maneuver as the vehicle in front of somebody who is coming up from behind me with a mm-hmm. device in their hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just it's hard to uh, try to maintain focus on what I'm doing when I'm having to watch what people in the lane next to me are doing because they're, right. they're constantly, you know, two wheels over the line or... Um, you know, someone behind me is just every time late braking and nearly touching my bumper. Yeah, it drives me crazy. If they had an auton or an autopilot system or a um, even a adaptive cruise control that was capable of stopping the vehicle, mm-hmm. like uh, Mercedes or you know BMW have, I would love it. Yeah, my, myself, I would rather remain in control. But for everybody else, <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, what you've just described is something that is universally wished for. That yeah. everybody but me. <laughs> yeah, I um, think that's the way. To, I know how selfish that sounds. I I'm of the everybody period. Oh, but yeah. you know, I don't drive. So yeah, well, there's, you know what, there's something to be said for for that as well. You know that uh, you know if everybody had the system. It would work out that way. Right. And there's so many that are like that. If it, yeah. if, if it was 100% implemented, a lot of things would be a lot safer. Yeah. Uh, a lot more boring, but yeah. safer. Boring, you say, but you could get to where you're going with less traffic. Is and it more? therefore, yeah, well. you would be able to fill your time with entertaining things is that it more, don't involve being in a car. Is it more boring or boringer? It's more boring. More boring. I, I can tell you what's more boring is, is us debating <laughs> The word. Uh, so, yeah, yeah we're going to wrap that part up of the discussion. So uh, ultimately, uh, I'm hopeful that that Tesla autopilot can continue to evolve over time, become better. Um, I'm hopeful that more people really take it to heart that their level of responsibility has not changed when they engage autopilot, that that system is there to improve their safety, but not replace them as an actual operator of the vehicle. Not entirely at any rate. Remain vigilant behind the wheel. Yeah. uh, Don't, don't create more terrible stories. Like I, I feel for Mr. Brown's family and I am, I really wish that this story had turned out a different way. And of course, there's a second story that we could talk about that, um, but we don't have all the details. There was one, uh, another accident that happened July 1st with this, the Tesla Model X. Yeah, that's right. That's their newest, for, uh, that's the SUV looking vehicle. Yeah, and that was, uh, on a, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Have you ever been on the Turnpike? I have. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what it's like. Oh, yes. Yeah, my wife's from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so I, we've also been on it. And, yeah. uh, it, the story in that case was that supposedly, uh, they had turned on autopilot. The vehicle struck a guardrail on the right-hand side. The the vehicle then veered across to the left-hand side, hit the concrete median in the middle of the road, and then flipped over. Now, this is crazy because this is not like uh, um, it just simply didn't detect something above the road surface. This left the lane. Yeah. So that's something totally different. Right. We're going to find out a lot more about this one. So we And we don't have the details yet. We do know that Tesla initially said it doesn't look like autopilot was necessarily involved in this particular accident and then they 
uh, kind of revise that to say that the data so far has not supported it, but that they are investigating it. Um, and to be honest, we don't have the full information, right? We've got the, the, uh, uh, the first-hand account of the driver, both the driver and his passenger, uh, escaped from, they didn't, I'm sure they were injured, but they were, they did not die. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. They survived. Cuts, maybe cuts and bruises or something yeah. like that. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't as, uh, quite as, uh, um, traumatic, I guess, as the other one was, yeah. of course. So we, we don't have enough information on that at the time of this recording to really dive into, was this actually a failure of autopilot? Cause if this were a failure, uh, under totally different circumstances, then you have to start asking some pretty tough questions about Tesla's technology. Yeah, can I just make a guess? I'll make a guess. Sure. An irresponsible guess. Okay. Is that somehow the driver disengaged the system because the lane departure system is something that's been around for so long and they've got it so nailed down really. Yeah. That, uh, that something like that, that part of the, of the autopilot system with everything else that it has to, to think about. Yeah. If it just simply left the lane because it couldn't detect the lane, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. It seems like something is up there. It, it would, you would think it would give an alert to the driver. Yeah. Right? To say like, bing or something like, well, hey, you know, make sure you're Taking control, cause and you know, I've heard of I've heard of these systems having a little bit of trouble at uh, at, at sunrise and sunset detecting right. detecting white lines on the road because mm-hmm. of the glare. Right, right, right. And maybe that's a uh, you know some well, type I mean, of I, factor in this. I would thing. imagine such a thing like here in Atlanta, uh, if it's if it's been raining uh, and then you get sunshine, it is really hard to see some of the lines on some of the roads here in Atlanta. Yeah, I do it by um, feel. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So you, when hand you start feeling door. that bump of the uh, reflector? Or? No, with my hands out the door. Oh, okay. That's fair. Uh, all yeah, right, that's slow speed. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's all irresponsible speculation. Yeah, exactly. We we don't know. So so while we're we're making some wild guesses here, uh, by the time this episode comes out, maybe there'll be more information that will be available. And uh, perhaps if, if it actually is a, a ultimately an autopilot issue, we'll revisit this and talk more about it. But for now... We're going to transition over to a different story. And this was one that you brought to my attention, Scott. This, um, this, this proposal that was, uh, part of the European Parliament, um, where they want to talk about robots. And, and part of the proposal that's got the most attention is the concept of electronic personhood. For robots. Yeah, and that's what I came to you with because I wasn't sure if this was going to be an, a podcast episode or not. I just thought it was kind of an interesting yeah. little news blurb, I suppose. And and I'll be I'll be right up front with you when I say that I have more questions about this than answers, really. Well, Scott, thankfully I have printed out the entire report and I have read it, <laughs> so I am happy to answer some questions. Have, have you? Uh, will you read it to us now, slowly? Uh, All yes. Twenty-two Here's pages. Here's twenty-two pages. Let's begin. <laughs> Actually, I do want to read. Well, I do want to read the first paragraph very briefly because. I love it so much. Okay. So this is the this is introduction section A. Whereas from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster to the classical myth of Pygmalion, through the story of Prague's Golem to the robot of Carol Kepek who coined the word, people have fantasized about the possibility of building intelligent machines, more often than not androids with human features. I would never have expected that to make it into this draft. Not only that's not the only fiction reference made in this. That, so, is that right? A, a famous, famous fictional piece about robotics is mentioned, which is, of course, 
Asimov's Laws mm-hmm. of Robotics. Have you heard of Asimov's Laws of Robotics? Yes. So basically, in case you're not familiar, first law is a robot may not harm a human or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. Mm-hmm. Second law is a robot must follow the commands of a human unless it were to violate the first law. Mm-hmm. Third law is a robot must protect itself from harm unless it would bring it into conflict with one of the first two laws. And these are critical in this argument because they're going to treat them as if they're human with uh, not only not only rights, but yeah. also responsibilities. Yeah. They're going to hold them accountable for their actions, which yeah. is uh, they're programmed by humans at this point. Yes. So what, what is okay. this, where does this all sort out to here? Because I mean, the idea that a, a robot that's in a factory creating mm. a part, right? Or you know, an automotive part. Sure. The idea that that is soon to be considered an electronic person, uh, it's it's crazy. To me. It seems insane to me. But the goal here, as we'll talk about in, I guess, a little bit more in depth, is that uh, they'll be taxed. Mm-hmm. They will pay into a social security system that will then be drawn from by humans. Yes. But not robots. No. Robots okay. don't get social security. I, well, yeah. But they do get compensation. All right. So these are – these. Are, <laughs> it's true. I'll but tell you about it. They get compensation. Absolutely. That's in the proposal. I'll okay, tell you Okay. So what. we're talking maintenance. No. Is that compensation? No. Really? Catnip? Really. Catnip? No. What it is is – get catnip. Their, their compensation is money. Money. They get paid. Well, okay, so that goes to the owner of the robot then. No. But the owner of the robot is the one that's paying into the social security system. Right. The owner of the robot pays the, the owner of the robot pays the robot. Well, this sounds like a real screw job. Do you, do you want to know why? Why? All right. Why? Here's, here's, here's the reason why this gets so, it gets clear once you start to understand the logic. Because okay. at first, on the face of it, you're like, this is ridiculous. Why? Would an owner have to pay in for Social Security for a robot, which is never going to draw on Social Security? Yes. Why would you ever pay a salary to a robot? Well, the the compensation fund, first of all, I was being a little unfair. That was one possible solution to a very real problem. That very real problem being when you get to a, a, a situation in which a robot causes damage or harm, who is liable for that damage or harm, and how do you compensate the harmed party? And so one of the arguments was the more autonomous a robot is, the more it is able to interact with its environment in new ways, like use machine learning to adapt to its environment and work within that environment, the less liable you can hold the manufacturer of that robot. If it's not something that is directly tied to a very basic function of the robot, you could argue, well, the robot learned something. It learned a poor way of doing that thing. Someone or something was harmed as a result of that. The robot's actually at fault, not the producer. This is a uh, self-aware issue. Not even self-aware, but so much as like uh, – like so let's say there, there's a famous thing in Stanford where uh, computer scientists set up a computer with artificial intelligence and they had it observe a pendulum as it swung back and forth. Mm-hmm. Through observing the pendulum, the computer was able to figure out the basic laws of motion just by observing the behavior of the pendulum swinging without being given any information about the laws of motion. Mm-hmm. Now, extend that to an idea for a an artificially intelligent device. It doesn't have to be self-aware. It just has to be able to uh, observe things within its environment and adapt to them. 
Another great example would be, let's say you've made a robot and you put a robot on a, on an assembly line and the robot needs to put together a certain thing. And then as the robot attempts to put the thing together, at first, the robot's pretty crappy. It's not doing it very well. But each time it attempts, it tries something a little bit different and starts to learn what works better than what worked before. You're not actually programming the robot to do this. The robot is learning how to do this through trial and error, just, essentially. Just as a human would on the same line. Exactly. And most of the time, the robots we talk about in industry, they don't fall into that category. They've been designed to do a very specific series of actions repeated, uh, repetitively. Yeah. Like that's it. That's, mm-hmm. and that's all they do. They don't, they don't start putting together a car and then turn around and flip burgers. That's not the purpose. The idea being with these new robots, they'd be more adaptive and could therefore change the way they do things in order to try and experiment, do something a little more effectively. If, in fact, we get to a further stage where robots are able to adapt even beyond that level, because really this proposal is more about we're heading down a road. Eventually, we're going to need to have legislation to to handle these issues. It would be better for us to think about it now than when it becomes necessary. Like like when a problem happens, we have to figure out what to do about it. Ah. It's okay. more about anticipating those problems. All right, I see. Now, but the, the knee-jerk reaction to this from a lot of people is that, uh, you know, the, the robots are taking my job, and also they're uh, they're not paying Social Security. And so, right. So, what's going to happen in the in the end here? We're going to have a, uh, a we're going to have a, a, an economy collapse uh, because it's going to be all robotic workers in the in the factory. We're yeah. going to have massive amounts of unemployment across the board. Right. Um, and no one's paying into the system that already can't sustain the number of people that have retired or are drawing from that. You know, right. In, in, right now. Sure. What's going to happen when I'm in that? Position because it's going to be an entirely robotic workforce. This is like the the uh, the the um, uh, just the idea that they have. You know, it's not it's not the reality really. The reality is that as the as the robots are slowly being implemented in the workforce, uh, humans are also increasing in the workforce, but in different jobs. Yes. So the robots may be taking this position away. Yeah. Slowly. Yep. And I've got a few numbers here I can mention in a moment. But, sure. Um, slowly, it's it's happening very slowly for for this. Um, you know, like the end of the world scenario that they're thinking of. You know, that um, not end of the world, but you know what I mean. Uh, the, well, yeah, the idea, it, the idea of capitalism folding in on itself. Yeah, and and they're they're thinking of it happening almost immediately, like overnight. And if, it, if something like that did happen overnight, that would be horrific for the the, the economy would collapse almost immediately. Right, it'd be really really difficult for the, for the system to keep up. So. It's a much more it's a it's a much slower implementation than what people are are thinking it is, and mm-hmm. and uh, humans are in fact finding jobs in other positions and places that you know then keep them gainfully employed. Right. And it's just a, it's a balance. It's all a balance right now. Um, but if things were to happen quickly, as I said, it, it would it would throw things into turmoil. But it's not happening that way. Yeah, it's not happening that way right now. The question is, will it always be more of a gradual thing or will will there be a tipping point? Right. Like, will there, yeah. there be a development in robotics and artificial intelligence where we get to a tipping point where it's a rapid implementation and deployment of uh, automated systems across multiple jobs. Like we are seeing certain jobs get more automation involved in them. Not all of them stay that way. Sometimes a company will go in with an automation uh, strategy and then ultimately decide, hey, this is not actually working out the way we thought it would, and they back off of it. In other cases, we see more and more automation go into that space. And so what what this proposal is trying to do 
is say, in the case where perhaps we see more jobs going away from automation than are generated through automation, we would need to have a method to respond to that. Here are some potential ways we could do that. But they also actually acknowledge this is not necessarily the case. In fact, one of the proposals in the draft is, uh, by the way, the draft report, I should read out the title. Draft a report with recommendations to the Commission on Civil Law Rules on Robotics. In case you were wondering if there were such a thing. Uh, <laughs> they, in the draft, they actually state that one of the things that should happen is the European Union should create an agency or, or a, a, a department that actually monitors the number of jobs in the EU that are quote-unquote taken by robots and the number of jobs that are created because they said we we lack this right now. We don't actually have a dedicated group of people that are monitoring these job trends. And in fact, if we continue to see more jobs created than are being taken, that becomes a non-issue, right? Like, But we don't know is the problem. I found those numbers if you want to hear what, what they I want to, to hear say. some. So, well, just, I guess a, a precursor to this is that, um, in that same draft that you're talking about, the European Parliament draft, the, the Committee on Legal Affairs said that organizations should have to declare savings they made in, the, oh, so savings they made in social security contributions by using robotics instead of people mm-hmm. for tax purposes. So mm-hmm. that amount then is going to be applied to tax, they're going to be taxed on that amount. Right. So, um, it, well, okay. Anyway, let's move on to this. I, there's no, proven correlation between increasing robot density and unemployment. That's what I was getting at before, yeah. is that by pointing out that there is a, a number of employees in the German automotive industry um, that, in fact, well, the, the whole German automotive industry by, rose by 13% between 2010 and 2013, uh, 2015, rather, while industrial robot stock in the industry rose 17% in the, in the same time period. So um, humans up 13%, robots up 17%, sure, but they're they're right now coexisting. Yeah. And it's not like one's declining and the other one's increasing, you know, exponentially. It's just they're they're kind of growing at the same rate. It's just getting bigger. That's right. all. I, and I think I think part of the issue here is that some people who are commenting on the on the report have probably not read it. <laughs> at least not all the way through cuz I yeah. when I read it I the the feeling I got was not so much they were saying uh, here's the problem that we need to solve right now. It was more like people have talked about the possibility of this thing happening. If this thing in fact happens, we're going to be in trouble unless we plan for that eventuality. And they say, here are some ways that we could at least have have uh, systems in place to to make that transition less painful. And the framework of time that they're talking about here is a decade or even decades yes. in in, uh, in uh, reality because they said it's not going to happen overnight like we've been saying. Yeah. And, and and the other the other quick thing that I want to mention is that as you said most people haven't really read the draft or what it, what it really entails. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people right away will say, oh, well, my toaster can make uh, make toast on its own, and my refrigerator knows when I need to stock it because it's a smart refrigerator. Mm-hmm. You're going to charge my smartphone like that's a person as well? Or are you going to uh, tax me for uh, you know all the devices, my, my thermostat that knows when I'm coming home and makes it warmer? Uh, you know, Where does this end? What's the what's the end result? Like, who is going to be taxed and, and, and why? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. They actually, in the report, mentioned that there needs to be a new classification, either either the whole electronic personhood thing. Uh, they said that uh, once we see robots rece- reach a certain level of sophistication, they have gone beyond what we would typically refer to as an object like a toaster. 
They say, yeah, a toaster's an object. You're not gonna treat a toaster like it's a sentient creature. Or even, even a, a robot with advanced, uh, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence doesn't necessarily mean it's sentient, and they aren't even saying we should treat them as sentient. They just say we might need to come up with a new classification, well, something that's not human or animal, but something with a legal classification to deal with robotics in a manner that is consistent with just legal proceedings, because there's not anything yet. Well, and one of those parameters would have to be something that directly takes the place of a human on an assembly line or in a fast food restaurant or you know wherever it would be yeah. it, it's not it's not something that it's not like a device that you use it would not be considered like a, you're taking a job away from somebody you don't have somebody at your house that makes toast for you and and now the toaster is automatic and it's taking away the toaster's job yeah it's not that way it's a, it's, it's a device that you normally would have to operate manually but now it's just a smart device and it does that for you it's just a, it's a handy thing but uh, it's not it's not taking away employment from somebody. Yeah, it's uh I mean I think that particular idea is one that uh some technologists have really been bandying about as a possibility like a decade or two decades out, you know, something where we actually see more and more automation and artificial intelligence taking the place of jobs and fewer and fewer opportunities for humans. Uh it's not like it's something that is um imperative right now. Uh, but again, I think that the people who drafted the report are doing it in a way that is fairly responsible in the idea that they're, they are looking ahead. Like they actually talk about how they're, they need to look ahead 10 to 15 years and, and anticipate what skills are going to be needed in the oh. job, which is really hard to do. Oh my gosh. I was just going to say this is impossible. But, because look back 15 years ago right. and see where we were. It was yeah. entirely, I mean, not not maybe 15 years ago, but look back 30 years ago, it was entirely humans doing all that stuff. I mean, it wasn't, there were, there were maybe a few simple, simple robots doing things. But look at an automation or, uh, you know, an, an automated assembly line now in an auto mm-hmm. plant. It's unbelievable what they're capable of and, and the number of robots versus the number of humans doing that. But, I, okay, one thing I gotta get out of here is, yeah. this is, this, this opens up so many boxes of worms in that we're not talking about uh, many other things here. This is strictly this issue, but, uh, there's gonna be the whole, you know, what are we paying these people to do the jobs versus what we pay the robots to do the jobs, which is not really paying them. It's, it's more like paying for the robot to do the job and programming and then maintaining it. And then what does it do to the price of the product and why is that in there in the first place? Because they want to lower the price of the product by not having that human that they're going to have to pay Social Security to right. for 30 years after retirement. The robots don't do that. So there's there's so many layers of this that we can argue back and forth and it gets very political. It really does. Yeah, I, I imagine at least that some of the, the arguments they've made for things like the compensation fund for the robot, that's really more of a – Break glass in case robot goes berserk fund. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really what it's meant for. Yeah. The, the compensation fund is really meant for a, hey, if your robot happens to go berserk one day yeah. and rampage down the street and slap kids around, yeah. you're going to be paying some money. Well, this is, this is the safety fund for that. What if, so here's, here's maybe, imagine this scenario. Let's say a robot that's uh, supposed to install the front window, you know, the glass in the vehicle. Yeah. What if it just starts flinging glass all over the, uh, over the factory and, right. does, and does injure a human yeah. or it does uh you know slice through several lines of uh you know hydraulic lines for the other robots <laughs> how do you count for that damage that's one well, see and, and, and that's one bad apple one of the things they mentioned was that uh, so the compensation fund like they said was a a possible approach 
Uh, the other thing they talked about was obligatory insurance, uh, s- similar to what you would have with car insurance, yeah. only in this case – it would be the companies producing the robots that would be responsible for paying okay. that insurance, not the people who purchase well, or own the robot. All right, I know that was a ridiculous example, but no, it's no, like no, the it's perfectly it's, it's perfectly a reasonable yeah. example. Uh, it's just, I mean, it goes berserk. Yeah, you know, what happens? They're, they're saying like you know, you, as we get to a point where robots are in are able to act more autonomously within an environment, they're going to encounter variables that you could not. This goes back to Tesla autopilot. They're going to encounter variables that you would not have expected when you were first programming oh, a robot. Yeah. Right? Office politics. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe something, uh, simple. Maybe it's something that is, that hardly ever happens, but happens at this one point. Uh, and how does the robot behave in that situation? And, and there's, their argument is that there are going to be cases where it is truly unpredictable. That you cannot, just from its basic programming, Necessarily anticipate what the robot's going to do. Yeah, like say, like uh, it's after work, and one robot hits on the other robot's girlfriend at the bar, <laughs> and then Monday there's a lot of tension between the two of them. You yeah, know, at work it's going to be a difficult situation. There That's they are you... standing around the WD forty cooler. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you just can't account for right now. Well, I mean, like like specifically the the passage that I keep kind of referring to here. It says uh, considers that in principle, once the ultimately responsible parties have been identified. Their liability would be proportionate to the actual level of instructions given to the robot and of its autonomy, so that the greater a robot's learning capability or autonomy is, the lower other parties' responsibility should be, and the longer a robot's education has lasted, the greater the responsibility of its teacher should be. All right, so uh, this should have a lot of robot programmers shaking in their boots right now, because that really ups their responsibility for this uh, this machine, which is already great, but that will extend into... If it learns how to adapt to the job and then, but then, then changes it's, somehow, then it's like the it. robot's fault. Well, as long as, as long as you can make the robot autonomous enough, uh, then you're like, I'm free. This is like having a kid. Yeah, I feel I'm, like, I'm responsible for my kid up to a certain age, and then after that, it's the kid's well, fault. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, yeah, it's like well, when when the robot turns 18, maybe that's yeah. uh, that's when. But that's the idea. That's the basic the idea. The idea is that if if you program a robot so that it has very little autonomy, then you would argue, logically speaking, the person liable for any damage the robot makes is the person who programmed it or built it or whatever because yeah. the robot can only follow the instructions that were given to it. If you have a robot that has more autonomy and more ability to extrapolate from its environment, then it goes beyond the basics that you gave the, that you equipped the robot with. And so it becomes harder to say, oh, it's your fault because your robot did this thing. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of like having a kid and a kid growing up and you're saying, you know, why can't you control your kid? I'm like, well, wh- my kid is becoming a person. And I mean, I, I can, I'm doing the best I can in educating and, and giving discipline and giving guidance to my kid, but my kid is a person. So mm-hmm. occasionally my kid chooses to do something that, you know, we have to have a discussion and say, listen, this was a bad choice you made. That's, Here's why it was, that kind of thing. It's all part of free will. It is. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting argument, though, that it's like it's like a child that you have to uh, maintain control over for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And then there's a point where you say, this is operating on its own at this point. Yeah. And responsible for its own actions. And And again, the report is very clear to say that this is stuff that we're talking about that's decades out. It's not yeah. like it's not like this is it's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and 
our our little remote controlled robot is suddenly going to be no. back talking us. No, it's, no. On the lines right now, it's like uh, you know, pick up part A and put it in slot B. Yeah, and then do it again and again and again for eighteen hours a day. And and the report is essentially saying like we just want to make sure that we're not unprepared when when technology advances beyond the stage we're at now. I mean, Scott, we've seen in the past, like with other types of technology, how technological development far outpaces the law. And then we have to figure out, okay, wait, what does this actually mean, legally speaking? Yeah. What what this draft is trying to do is get ahead of that. And just to say, like, let's set up the legal framework now so that we aren't caught in that situation when it ultimately happens. Well, but it does it does lead to some jokes. Yeah, and what gets everybody's dander up is that, you know, they're going to they're they're calling them electronic persons and that yeah. right away is uh, is kind of a um I don't know, it's a is it not, it's not a bully move, but it's more like um this is definitely something that's replacing you as a as a person in the or at the least workplace. or at least is joining and, you and, as a person. Well, yeah, joining you. Yeah, at the, at, at the minimum, let's say is joining you. And then the other thing is that I think a lot of people feel this way, too, is that, wait a minute, you're going to tax them as if it's a human. Isn't that the reason why they they maybe replaced that human with a, a machine is that they didn't have to be responsible for it after that point? Like, once it retires, because these robots don't retire, they don't die. They have, you know, they have mechanical issues. Yeah. And, they're, and they are, I guess, uh, retired in a way and that they're replaced by another one. But you don't go on, you don't continue paying for that with a pension for the rest of the robot's, uh, you know, air quote life, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's it, it's it's strange though. People people want to extrapolate this to like like it's a human and that you'll have to care for it for the rest of its uh, its mechanical life yeah. as if it's a human. But that's not the way it is, really. No, I think it's I th- different. I think really what they're what they were trying to get at is that there are certain systems we have in place as human beings that depend entirely. Or, or at least in large part on employment taxes. Yeah. And that if we in fact do reach a future, which is still not, a, not necessarily the, the thing that's going to happen, but if we reach a future where, uh, automation really has taken over to a great extent, uh, what do we do to protect those systems for the people who are still dependent upon them until we reach a point where those systems are moot because we've moved on to something else. In fact, yeah. one of the other things they actually mention is that the member states could all start to consider the possibility of a general basic income, which you know we're, we've got a couple of countries out there in Europe that are are experimenting with this to some degree. Uh, I, I did an episode of uh, Forward Thinking's audio podcast where I talked about this, and I said – I would use that as a way of just seeing what happens. And then, you know, do you say, all right, it works. Let's try it. Or do you say, oh, boy, that didn't work at all. Let's not do that. Good thing we didn't implement it everywhere. And I I think I think auto manufacturers are going to hate this. I think it's going to be bad for their business. Yeah, I really do. They're they're not going to like this at all because that was the benefit to them. Of of having something the robot it doesn't it doesn't have the complaints it doesn't right. have the uh, you know the same concerns right you have the as, you have the upfront cost and you have the maintenance cost of the robots but you don't have these ongoing you don't have a salary you don't have benefits you don't have 
these other uh, taxes and other elements that you would have to have if it were a human workforce. And, and it, if you start adding all these things that they have to pay on the on the end of the owner of the robot, you know, the uh, the, the founder of the company or the uh, the owner of the company, mm-hmm. whoever that may be, it may be a group of people. Uh, if they have to pay more for that, you better believe that that price is going to be passed on to the consumer, and the right. price of the price of your automobile is going to go skyrocketing. And it, it just leads to a lot of trouble. I mean, there's going to be um, there's going to be some issues. I think if the, if they really do go forward with yeah. this, I, well, know, I know it's just a draft now. It's an idea, exactly. and it's kind of getting it in people's heads that it may happen. But if they really do go forward with this, it's going to cause a lot of trouble. I think the I think the important thing to remember is it's not just that it's a draft report, but also that this is a report that's giving recommendations, and most of those recommendations really boil down to. Let's form an actual official European agency that is going to oversee this stuff and staff it with people who are experts in their field, not just technical experts, but regulatory experts, ethical experts to do to to do a lot of the legwork to make sure that if any legislative uh, aims are are created, that they are done so with the most information from the most the most diverse perspective possible rather than, you know, this seems like we should try this. Let's do that. Let's go this way. Yeah. yeah. You know? be, be ready, but take your time getting there. And I, I think that that ultimately is the message of the report. It is a little whimsical in places. The fact that it references fiction. Uh, <laughs> you think? Uh, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, that um, was one of the things that you came over to me and said, can you believe this? Well, see, to me. This is you're excited by it. I do a show called Forward Thinking, yeah. you know, where it, and so I know how hard it is to try and predict the future. I have to do it every week. Um, forward Thinking. I'm going to write that down. FW colon thinking. It's uh, sponsored by Toyota. This show is not, but Forward Thinking is. I will look it up. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, doing doing the show there, we talked about how it's funny because in those episodes when we talk about these big big ideas, things like what happens if a uh, uh, an artificial intelligence becomes sophisticated enough that it is difficult to to differentiate it from an intelligent creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point, maybe it has some form of self awareness. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it seems like it does. Like that's a difficult question. What happens if automation were to take over more jobs than it could create? What if we were, you know, the, all these different what if questions? We always conclude with. You know, we don't really know, but it really is important that we talk about it and discuss it and start thinking, you know, what, how would this actually impact us now so that we're not caught by surprise what happens later on? And I feel like this draft report is exactly what I keep saying. And so while part of it is funny and, and you can joke about like your toaster becoming a person, uh, and I, I would make the same joke. I'm also, I also admire that someone has taken the time to do what I keep asking people to do at every episode. I'm like, well, I, I, I can't make too much fun of them. I've been, this is exactly what I've been calling for for four years. <laughs> it's become a reality. Yeah. Now I'm just like amused that it happened. Also, <laughs> uh, I, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, like this report is very easy to read. Uh, it is 22 pages long. And that's after you get past the first couple of pages of, uh, it's less than 22 pages because the first couple of pages are like a, cover and a table of contents and stuff. Double spaced. It's a piece of cake. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, I mean, 
it's written in a little bit of legal language, but not terrible. Like it's nowhere near as dense as some of the stuff I used to have to read when I worked in a law firm. Mm-hmm. Those were dark times, my friend. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's a pretty easy read. It's a little scattered because you feel like some of the sections are repeated, but uh, it's worth checking out. And it's all available online in PDF form, so you can go and pull down this, read it, f- see if you you know think like is this. Is this prudent? Is it is it really proactive? Is it reactionary? Is it unnecessary? Should we not worry about this for another ten years? I mean, it it, it certainly could spark at least a, a conversation. We should also keep in mind nothing in the report is like would become legally binding. It's really just a bunch of suggestions. Yeah, it's just uh, just kind of a, a prep work uh, work uh, frame, well framework, I guess. Yeah, maybe, for them to adhere to later. It's right. Point. It's not even not even so much as like a legal proposal as it is. Hey guys, I think it'd be a real good idea if we got some smart people to think about this stuff for a while. Yeah, <laughs> like that's like, essentially what it comes down to. Yeah, start with this and see what you come up with. Yeah, 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 pretty much. And they, you know, the fact that they say like this is one possible solution. Uh, they're they are implying at least that they don't know all the answers and therefore they're just kind of throwing something out there and maybe there's a much better way of approaching it than the way that they have suggested. Yeah, what so. do you know? So European Parliament is a lot like us. They have more questions than answers on this one right yeah. now. But at least they're asking to get you know the, the top thinkers together to try and answer some of these questions. That's true. Just like how stuff works did with us here to, in this that's room right. today. That's right. That's why we make the big bucks, Scott. <laughs> get the top thinkers together in the podcast studio. Uh, oh, okay. That's a little I too mean, much. That's too, too much. We were really only the only two people here, so it's, it was just there was no other option, really. <laughs> That's it, right. Yeah, it was an empty room, and I just happened to raise my hand. Yeah, yeah. It's either going to be you know you or Matt Frederick, and man, I can't stand that guy. So uh, <laughs> I, I said that just as he was literally passing the window. I was looking out, and I love Matt. He's he'll awesome. never, he'll never listen to this. No, he, yeah, I don't have to worry about him listening to this. But just in case, I, I love you, Matt. All right, so guys. Uh, first of all, I gotta thank Scott again for joining me on this show and and bringing bringing the uh, the European Parliament uh, proposal to my attention because uh, it has given me a wealth of material. Well, thank you for asking me into the studio again with you. I always have a good time and it's always a fun conversation. It's, it's a good back and forth between us. Yeah, yeah, we we have a, a blast. I, I, There's certain people that I I just feel a, a fun rapport with, and I'm happy to say. At no time during this particular conversation did I set out to break your heart. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't even. Uh, you didn't physically strike me either, which that, you sometimes do. It's sometimes. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's a Friday and I'm tired. Honestly, <laughs> I don't think I have the energy. Yeah, you know what? Usually you do. You do try to. <laughs> you try to uh, try, try to zing me with. Yeah, I usually I usually withhold here. one important piece of information. Yeah. And then see see how you react. <laughs> it normally has something to do with people not driving anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm not doing that today. So of course you and can I go you. check out Car Stuff. Scott is a co-host on Car Stuff along with Ben Bolin, and uh, he does amazing work here at How Stuff Works. So check that out. And uh, guys, if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, write me. My email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or drop me a line on Twitter or Facebook. The handle at both of those is TechStuffHSW. And I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 